0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Horses Ask the Horse Live. I'm Michelle Anderson, digital managing editor of The Horse. Tonight's topic is Managing the Fearful and Anxious Horse, and it's sponsored by Vetroquinol, maker of Zilkeen. Last year, my own homebred quarter horse, Gelding, his name is Jack, inspired me to write a feature for our magazine, The Horse, about managing the anxious horse. He'd always been a nervous guy, even when he was little. But as he aged, his seemingly silly behavior started becoming more dangerous um, and frustrating for me. He would spook at the slightest shadow on the trail and spook, like, really big. Uh, He would run the second my vet pulled up in his truck uh, and wouldn't let us catch him. He would get drenched in sweat when he was in the trailer, and he started kicking the farrier every time and hard. I have the most patient farrier on the planet. I was at my wit's end and found that having two other horses, I would kind of skip over Jack and grab one of the others instead when I had time to ride. But finally, I decided that I needed to make a change, so I decided to create Jack's happiness plan. If you want to read about that plan, you can go to thehorse.com 35637, and I can outline the strategies I used to uh, change Jack and my life um, at least a little bit. Anyway, with some creativity uh, and lots of research-based management changes for Jack, he came around. He's not perfect, but it's definitely better than it used to be. If you're listening now, and there's a lot of you out there, I'm guessing you might have come across or own a horse kind of like Jack, and you're looking for some answers. And tonight, you're in luck because we have... The next hour, we get to spend with Dr. Sue McDonnell, who's an equine behaviorist uh, at the University of Pennsylvania, and Dr. McDonnell literally wrote the Encyclopedia of Horse Behavior. Uh, She's awesome, and I always find it fascinating to chat with Sue. Um, We also have uh, Dr. Jim Lowe on the line, and he's a technical services vet with uh, Vetroquinol, and he has spent his career uh, taking care of large animals and horses. So let's go ahead and start with Dr. McDonald. Can you tell us a little bit about your specialty and your interest in horse behavior and what you bring to the table when we're talking about fearful horses?
1: Well, hello. Um, Yeah, um, I'm an equine behaviorist. I'm uh, trained um, in physiology and behavior and in general animal behavior. But all of my career has been here at the vet school at New Bolton Center. Um, working primarily with horses um, do everything from uh, teaching veterinary students how to handle horses and work with challenging horses horses that are having difficulty with veterinary procedures to uh, um, consult with um, clients uh, such as we'll probably have on the line tonight with questions Um my, my true um, interest over these 30 years at Penn has been in stallion um, reproductive behavior problems. So, um, I do a fair amount of that too.
0: And Dr. Lowe, can you tell us a little bit about your experience as a practitioner, as well as your experience helping horse owners manage some of these anxious horses?
2: Yeah, uh, thank you, Michelle, for having us, and uh, I just wanted to say we really appreciated the company the opportunity to sponsor this uh, session on fearful horses. Uh, Vettikino is committed to trying to help these horses cope better more naturally with these challenges they experience day to day. And obviously our support of Zilkeen is is one tool that we hope can be used in achieving those objectives. Um, In private practice, I was in practice for over 18 years and and I understand how behavioral issues can severely damage that human-animal bond up to and including, as you mentioned in your introduction, a lack of ability or a very difficult uh, ability to give proper veterinary care. Um, I can remember in one instance trying to collect a blood sample from a mare who never gave us problems in the past, and she was repeatedly reluctant to allow me to collect that blood sample until, like a light bulb going off in his head, the owner noticed I was wearing a cowboy hat. Um, He asked that I take that cowboy hat off, and as soon as I did, that little mare just wilted and allowed me to do whatever I needed to do. You know, it turns out that uh, her previous owners, who obviously had worn cowboy hats, had been less than uh, kind to her, and, and it taught me a, a huge lesson. And really, in, in some of my reading, I found one of the innate natural traits horses have to survive is that they may forgive, but they never forget. So I think as we move along and as we try to help horse owners manage these horses, it's this incumbent that we really focus on that initial introduction to any new experience be as gentle and anxiety-free as possible.
0: Thank you, Dr. Lowe. Uh, Before we jump into our actual questions tonight, I want to offer all of our listeners a resource uh, that we gathered up the editors at The Horse, we went through all of our archives and we found our top 10 resources for managing fearful and anxious horses, and that is available at thehorse.com slash anxioushorse. So we'll go ahead and put that in the chat box too so that people can copy and paste that into their browser if they want to check out those resources. Uh, before we get started, a quick review of how the, our Ask the Horse Live uh, works. Um, We'll be starting with the questions that people submitted uh, during registration. If you have a question you'd like to ask live, or would like a clarification to one of the doctor's responses, you can go ahead and enter that in the chat window in front of you. We have an editor behind the scenes who's reading those and sending them to me as we go during the live event, we're going to do our best to get to as many of your questions as possible. So let's go ahead and dive in, and I want to start, Dr. McDonald, by... uh, Addressing what fear is in horses. I think it's important for all of us to understand the signs of fear and anxiety in our horses And sometimes I know that horses don't always share show us that they're scared or we as humans Misinterpret the signs that they're giving us. So can you share with us a little bit about what fear looks like in the horse?
1: Yeah, sure we're using the terms fear and anxiety Um Actually, in psychology, including in animal um, psychology, they're slightly different um, terms. Fear is, is a, a, a present fear of something, a startling sound or some you know, flapping flag or whatever that startles or it, uh, induces fear at that moment. And anxiety is is that um, long-lasting, nagging, nervousness, apprehension um, that, that is the result of being afraid of something in the past. So um, and we, we, we'll use these terms fairly loosely tonight. We talk about the, the anxious horse almost synonymously with the nervous horse, which is another thing. You know, it's a nervous system that's just a little more reactive, um, and so that horse, um, because it's more reactive, it, it, it builds more anxiety as life goes on, um, unless that's alleviated some way. So the, the overriding thing I think about all the time when I see um, people, or I, I myself am struggling with a horse that's struggling with what I want it to do, is that so often the horse is really afraid and we don't recognize that. Um, So often for the classic is standing behind the trailer and trying to help someone who's having difficulty loading and they will say he knows what I want him to do, he's not afraid and I'm standing there as a trained behaviorist thinking my god this horse is so scared and confused and the reason that is is because horses evolved as an open plains grazing species and those that evolved did not show fear in the same way that people would show fear. Um, as a prey species, it was to their advantage those that that did not show their fear um, didn't draw attention from the predators, so they survived. And uh, so, very often, I think we need to step back and think and and a horse that's not able to figure out what we want it to do or is not complying with a veterinary procedure, I think we have to give them the benefit of the doubt. If you don't recognize fear, it's, it's very likely that it's there. For example, the horses, if you, you're loading a horse and it defecates. Defecation is a sign of fear in that situation and you'll notice it gets looser and looser as time goes by. and that's. In a human, that's a really strong level of fear that you have uh, loose feces. I'll stop there. I could go on forever, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs>
0: are, you know, uh, Dr. McDonald, we, lots of times like, we, we look at the horse's eyes and the ears for signs of, of their uh, current state. Uh, are there some things that we can look for, a flaring nostril, an eye sure. that's a little
1: bit wider? Yeah. Sure, and many horses will show that, but there's also horses that are really have a high level of physiologic fear that have a very uh, non-fearful expression um, by most people's judgment. But uh, uh, their ear movements probably more than anything. Um, though Their ears will be moving a lot more when they're fearful.
0: So you mentioned, Dr. McDonald, uh, the fearful horse, the anxious horse, maybe the nervous horse. And I am having a little bit new experience with um, my young horse who is a hot horse. And I always thought of hot horses as being nervous. But I find with her, she's not afraid of anything anything like you can take her out by herself she's just super solid um she never spooks she's very forward and she's game to go um but she's she's super hot so do our nervousness and hotness kind of a different thing or is this just my individual horse
1: by hot you mean like forward energy just ready, ready to, go. to go
0: yeah she is She's ready to go. Yeah, super bold and just like, let's go, let's go. Not one that wants to stand still and wait around. You know, she's like, let's, we, let's get to our job. So
1: so antsy, antsy kind of nervous. Yeah, that's the problem with all these words, isn't it? That, uh yeah. I, I know what you mean. And that, that type of horse is not necessarily an anxious horse. Or if, and you, as you uh, have um, decided with her that it's not fear, she's, not, she's actually fearless. Um, and that's that 's a huge problem for behaviors who are trying to categorize temperaments in horses, mm-hmm. um, especially uh, w- many of these behaviorists are in different countries not sharing a common language. You can imagine how confused we all get at these meetings. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, Dr. Lowe, the next question is for you. Mark is in New Mexico and he wants to know what physical evaluations can be performed to rule out health-related causes of fearful or anxious behavior. Um, And he also wants to know if genetics make for a more fearful or laid-back horse. What what do we know about those things?
2: Well, I guess we'll take the second one uh, first.
0: As far as genetics,
2: um, I'm not sure that genetically, and that's probably something Dr. McDonald could speak more more succinctly to, but certainly we know there are certain breeds that tend to be potentially more anxious or fearful. Um, so if you want to say that that is genetic in nature, probably so. But again, there's so much individual variation between animals. Um, I think it's very hard uh, to just put the genetic factor as a marker for Um, you know, whatever behavior that horse may have. Um, I think Mark makes a very good point, though, asking about physical evaluations, because along the same lines as Dr. McDonald was speaking, it's so often so easy to misinterpret um, abnormal behavior, shall we say, as a behavioral issue when there's actually something physically going wrong with the horse. So it is incumbent that an exhaustive Physical exam is done on, on all of these horses to real at any underlying problem specifically any problem that might be causing uh, pain because certainly with pain then the reactions of these horses just as in people is going to be uh, quite different so lameness exams of course and this is more than just a visual a visual lameness exam or a flexion test um, this could include um, nerve blocks this could include radiography. Uh, much higher tech like nuclear scintigraphy bone scans to rule out musculoskeletal pain. Um, Ocular exams, a full vision exam is very important because if there are deficiencies in the vision of these animals, that is certainly going to be much more likely to exaggerate their reactions to sudden movements. Dental exams, teeth with horse pain, teeth with jaw pain um, are going to act significantly different. They may be head shy, they may show anxiety when they're tacked up, so a full oral exam and or dental correction may be necessary. And we can never rule out GI pain, gastrointestinal pain, so certainly endoscopic examination to look for any evidence of gastric ulceration. That's probably just the tip of the iceberg, but again, trying to recognize that before we label a horse as having a behavioral issue, we want to try to assure ourselves as much as possible that there is not a a underlying physical abnormality.
0: Dr. McDonnell, our next question is from Bobby in Maryland, and it's the big wind question with horses. (laughs) She said that her horse is outside 24-7, always on the field, always exposed to the elements, but has shelter. Uh, But he is incredibly spooky when ridden on windy days. What is it about wind that causes all of our horses to lose their minds?
1: Well, uh, isn't that a big question? I've always just understood it as that... uh, you know, with the wind, their hearing is impaired. Everything is moving in different ways. Um, even horses that live in windy climates. Once you're you put them under your control, and they've got to pay attention to you and pay attention to everything in the environment. They just seem to to melt down and be hyperreactive. So um, I think it's just something we have to accept. And it's I think it's a pretty rare horse that doesn't have even a tinge of that. I mean, I. I've had some, pretty, some horses I thought were pretty bomb-proof, mostly driving ponies, that uh, in windy conditions, um, you, you just couldn't depend on them.
0: So on those windy days, is it okay to just say, you know, today I'm not going to ride, or maybe we'll do something else today?
1: That's what I do. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I know that that's, that doesn't work for everybody's plan and um, if you were going to work them I would just you know give them the benefit of the doubt and uh, just just go easy and, and ask them to do things that are that are you know they know well and and uh, you know just kind of go light on things so that you don't over overstress them <laughs>
0: We have a question, Dr. Macdonald, from the live audience. Uh, Gabrielle has an Arabian that is very afraid of thunderstorms. She said that the mare starts pacing for hours on end when there's a storm. She wonders if there's a thunder shirt like what we have for dogs that could help her horse, or if there's anything else she could do to help her horse who's nervous in thunderstorms.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not aware of any anything similar to the thunder shirt. That that's for dogs. Um, I mean, people do things like try to soundproof the area, put in uh, cotton in the ears of the horse. Try to, uh, although I think they they pick up a lot on the vibration as much as the as the the uh, sound, and uh, probably um, it. it there's so few horses, in my experience, that actually are afraid of thunder that, that unlike dogs, um, I think it's going to be a while before we come up with strategies um, that can be tested experimentally. Um, I, I ran into the first horse I've ever met in all these years that reacted to a thunderstorm, and that was the first time this summer. So. Um, and it, it brought to mind that there hasn't been much research on it, but I don't know how we would gather enough horses to do something about it. Dr. Lowe, what, what is your experience? Have you run into many horses that are reactive to storms?
2: No, ma'am, no. As you said, it's much more common to be the, uh, the family dog. Um, and as you said, with those, we it's a little bit easier to... Create little storm shelters for them to turn up the ambient noise like radios loud to block out the windows so they can't see the light um, So yeah, I, I, I have not seen uh, I can't recall having ever seen one that that uh, was definitely afraid of afraid of thunder You know, I would imagine that horse is probably it'd be interesting to note That horse is, is sensitive to other sounds like uh, gunshots fireworks loud booms things like that as well
0: um, we have another live question, uh, Dr. McDonald. It's from Holly, and she has a nine year old off the track thoroughbred who is anxious about leaving his pasture buddy and won't relax until he gets back with his buddy. He calls out to the horse, he sweats, he's looking for his friend, he develops loose stool uh, while he's away. What can Holly do to reassure her horse and help him relax when he's not with his friend?
1: Well, you're bringing out the tough ones, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> it's the the live audience. They have, they have some yeah. good ones. <laughs> Well, that's one of the this herd bound thing or buddy bound um, situation is is just a nagging problem. It's a tough one. And uh, my I don't know what our situation is, but and why he has to be separated from his buddy um but uh My recommendation to people is to try to get a buddy that can go along everywhere. And and the usual question is, well, he's so um, bonded to this particular buddy, um, it'll be devastating for him uh, to be separated and and be given a new buddy. Um, My experience has been that the the horse that has that type of problem just will go to Velcro itself to any horse. (laughs) that it has, a mini, a donkey, anything. So that's the number one thing I recommend. The other thing that people can get very creative with is horses will sometimes um, give you the impression they're getting benefit from a mirror, which it's their own image, and if they're not too nervous and and their buddy in the mirror isn't equally nervous, (laughs) It will be equally nervous, but um, if it doesn't feed on itself, that'll sometimes calm them down. If they're, they're too nervous to respond well to the mirror, or if for any reason they don't do well with the mirror, actually a poster of a calm horse or a poster of the buddy. Now, for trailering or going being in a stall by itself, that would work. Um, taking it out for a ride, I don't think you can take the poster along. And we've been working recently with high-definition video of companions, um, and it's really interesting how nicely horses will respond to a... We have a 70-inch monitor that you can put near the stall, and uh, they respond to it as if it was their companion. There's other things, of course, anything that... Any of the calming agents would probably be a good... uh, uh, and, and in fact, we do recommend um, trying zilking in situations like that. Uh, if it's if it's not a real strong meltdown situation, if you can head it off, um, you can often help those horses be a little bit um, more comfortable away from their companion. Other goofy thing—I mean, they sound goofy, goofy—but things that people do is they'll blanket the companion and then take that blanket with the horse, um, when the companion isn't there, um, providing the odor of the companion. Um, you can get creative with things like that.
0: Now, Dr. McDonald, I find that my, um, my geldings like each other and my mare likes them. You know, they're a nice little herd, um, but the most upsetting thing I can do is remove the mare from the geldings, so it's the geldings left behind that are more upset than, than anyone else ever. So I can remove a gelding, they're fine, I remove the other gelding, they're fine, I remove the mare, and both geldings are very heartbroken about it. Um, is, does sex play a role in in these relationships with the horses?
1: Oh, well, I'm sure they do. Um, it, it's always very complicated, it seems, with, with these relationships, and you, it's, it's not easy to predict, but I'm sure, Jen, uh, Sex does play a, play a role, particularly with. I'm surprised that you're, you're both geldings are equally upset when the mare goes. I would have thought one of them was more like the playing the harem role.
0: Yeah, there's the one is is more vocal about it, but they both, both <laughs> it. Um, they don't seem to do much to comfort each other when she leaves. <laughs> so <laughs> um, it's hard to be a mare with two geldings. I think that that's not quite the right ratio, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, our next question is from our live audience, and it's Kimberly, and she wants to know uh, about her horse who does well with groundwork under saddle, but uh, the mare is extremely afraid of flapping bags and coats on the fence and anything man-made that moves when she's being ridden. Do you have any suggestions on how to work with this? And let's start with Dr. Lowe, and then Dr. McDonald will go ahead and jump in.
2: Wow. Um, you know, again, I think, uh, you know, repetition, at least in my, in my experience, would probably be the best, uh, the best way to a gradual introduction of these flapping bags and things. Certainly supplements are available that can potentially uh, help this horse cope, bilkein being one of those, uh, as it's a product where the horse would be able to fully acknowledge that flapping bag or, or whatever it is. But with desensitization and, and repetition, uh would begin to appreciate that, yes, while that bag is flapping there on the fence, it's of no harm or, or threat to me. So, yeah, it's going to be, I think, just trying to remove as much of th- those anxieties from this horse's life as possible and then slowly reintroducing them very gradually um, and potentially thinking about uh, a supplement on board as well.
0: And Dr. McDonald, any suggestions?
1: Um, I actually, with horses like that, I like to put them in an uh, area um, where they basically hang out like in their pasture and present all of those things along the fence line and let them just get used to it on their own terms. And um, it doesn't always immediately transfer to when, again, when you're, when you're riding them and you have control over them, they have less, Less uh, ability to to deal with things, right? They they have to kind of do what you want to do, and so I think that's why they're a little bit more uh, reactive to things that they might even be fairly used to. But um, going back years ago, actually through um, uh, folks at the horse, I did some um, curriculum planning for the natural national rate or uh, national uh, police. Horse Academy there in Lexington. And they were wanting to set up a program so that those young horses would be used to all sorts of things. And that that was the best thing, just sort of turning them out in an area where they were able to approach them on their own time and space. Um, I've even started feeding horses uh, palatable feed closer and closer to those challenge areas. Um, And, uh, It's best if you can start with them when they're really young, which is what the Police Horse Academy was doing, Um, but it worked very well, and and it's the same strategy with older horses, um, but probably takes a little bit longer.
0: So, Dr. McDonald, I uh, was riding a horse. I was showing her, and she was a Swedish mare, and she was uh, hot. And sensitive and she was very very fancy and when she was a young horse uh, being sold She was chased with the plastic bag on the end of a whip and to get her really animated and and show off her trot And so she was terrified 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 of plastic bags any shift or sound that sounded like crinkling of a plastic bag and there was uh, a lady at the barn who was determined to help me get this this horse over this issue and would feed her carrots and apples and all of her favorite snacks out of the bag, and um, she got better for that situation, but the bag thing um, continues to be an issue for her. Do horses suffer from like post-traumatic stress like humans do to the point where maybe they aren't going to get over something they've been exposed to in a
1: negative way? I'm sure they do, and I've I've certainly seen horses that had an early traumatic, and and it is the the first, um, Dr. Lowe mentioned this, that those first experiences are really critical Um, because, again, going back to the fact that they, those horses that survived from the predators were those that um, when something bad happened, it, it was just almost became hardwired to react to that again the same way, and so it's, it's very hard to break that um, mental link, and uh, so I think you know your analogy to post-traumatic stress. Um, it's hard to say what what sort of cognitive aspects horses have to that, but they certainly have that physiologic quick response to things, almost single trial aversion learning. Um, you know that they they bolt. Um, the next time they have that same stimulus.
0: And we have a question from our live audience, um, that kind of along the same lines, uh, Anne has an Arabian gelding who is terrified of needles or anything that resembles a needle and he will try to run over the people handling him when he's presented with a needle for vaccinations or, or blood draws. She wants to know what the best method is to help a horse like this overcome his fear. Uh, Dr. McDonald. I know that you work with a lot of vet students in helping them handle these kind of horses. What suggestions do you have?
1: Well, we use an all-positive reinforcement-based um, rehabbing program where we um, uh, first assess the horse to see at what point it, it starts to become so anxious and Uh, what precisely it does, figure out what its avoidance behaviors are. Because usually by the time we see these horses, people have tried a lot and the horse has um, gone through uh, a learning process of avoiding and they can be, you know, as as the caller indicated, they can pull you over and uh, avoid successfully. So We um, just go at it gradually. It doesn't. It sounds like it takes a long time, but it actually doesn't take much time before you can actually train the horse to actually ask you for a vaccination. Or I mean, they'll they'll present themselves when they see the needle or a blood withdraw. Um, it it's basically just gradually getting closer and closer to the actual stick and giving a positive reinforcement for them to relax. So in the course of about 15 minutes, you can get most horses to be comfortable, and within two or three sessions like that, you can get them to be really wanting, seeing it as an opportunity to get a treat. The timing, it's not as simple as just putting a bucket of feed in front of them. You have to uh, wait, and just at the moment that they relax, we say the word good, and then deliver the treat, and uh, they get to be very um Comfortable with it we do that with eye medications a lot at our hospitals too we have a lot of um, eye patients who have to have frequent eye meds and even horses who are not necessarily um, uncomfortable with veterinary procedures really find eye meds annoying after a while and uh, it's the same sort of uh, simple um, systematic desensitization with positive re- reinforcement every time they relax
0: um, we have a question, Dr. McDonnell, from uh, Tulia in Davis, California, and she wants to know what exercises you would recommend to best keep a worked-up horse in a new environment calm and focused.
1: Exercises. So what do you think she means, Michelle? Does she mean, like, actually?
0: I think, you know, that... Um, there are clinicians that recommend moving the horse's feet or I know that oh, okay. you know, when you have a horse that's you're in a new place and sometimes if you just put them to work um, it seems right. like you know, if we get to work then we can focus on work rather than all of this right. scary stuff that's going on. Um,
1: yeah, that's that's exactly what I would recommend is just uh, having a, a very simple routine that you uh, work with your horse at home, that they, things that they do and do well, and just get them going on that.
0: We have a question from Sandra in our live audience. She said that she fainted and fell off her mare, and ever since then, uh, the mare has been very nervous when she moves around in the saddle. She said as long as she's quiet in the saddle, the mare is okay, um, but that she'll scoot if she moves her arms or legs. Um, how can you regain a horse's trust after that kind of situation has happened? Um, and Dr. McDonald, do you have any, any
1: thoughts? Well, I would do, it's sort of the same principle. I would actually um, have someone on the ground and uh, offering treats whenever the horse <laughs> relaxes and have her actually go through all of those motions. Um, we do this a little bit with therapy horses who can get, some of them can get pre-wigged out with, um, you know, all the different types of riders and their different, some of the handicapped children, for example, are fairly animated on the horse. And um, so we, we basically it's just sort of like the police horse bomb proofing. You just sort of introduce it to them at a level that they can handle and reinforce them every time they relax.
0: Dr. Lowe, we have a question from Renee in Boulder, Colorado, and she's curious about how estrous cycles influence fearfulness and anxiety in mares. Um, Can you explain to us a little bit about how heat cycles work in horses and how maybe those hormones might change uh, a mare's behavior?
2: Yes, I can do that very briefly, as a matter of fact, but uh, it's just quickly, it's easy it's – just remember that mares are seasonal breeders that respond to uh, the lengthening of the day. And so uh, the mare's cycle is roughly 21 days during which she's going to ovulate during that period. As far as when she's in standing heat or receptive to that stallion, that can be anywhere from, from two to eight days. Once she ovulates, if she's not pregnant or if she does not become impregnated, that cycle is going to repeat itself again um, in about 14 days. So, I imagine Dr. McDonald can speak uh, much more to what high estrogen levels are going to do to this mare.
1: So, when uh, they're about to ovulate or they're coming in, they're in estrus and they're in those days before ovulation, um, estrogen is is a hormone that um, increases activity and sensitivity. Um, it, it, um, most horses tend to be more active. They urinate more frequently. They are a little bit tenser. Um, they're looking very uh, uh, engaged with the environment, looking for males. Um, that's their, their, the natural way of things. And it can affect their performance pretty profoundly. But it's very interesting when we evaluate courses that come in and we, we get sometimes many per week. This week we had several who came in with a complaint of having difficulties when they were in estrus. And in every case, um, recently, we've found that they had a physical discomfort issue in the background that was um, in fact uh, one of them it was worse when she was in the diestrus phase or um, when she was out of estrus rather than when she was in estrus and the others had a problem that logically um, became more problematic with the normal signs of estrus one for example had uh, urinary tract problem that had discomfort so of course she's urinating more frequently as a result of being an estrus which was making her much more uncomfortable because of the other painful issue um, so yes estrus can affect behavior but it's it's every everyone who professionally deals with this has come to the realization that We can't blame it all just on on the estrogen, (laughs) that in many cases there's other things that are really bothering the horse that they can cope with um, at some stages of the cycle and not at other stages.
0: Dr. Lowe, we have a question from Carol in Pennsylvania, and she wants to know how nutrition uh, can change or impact a horse's behavior.
2: Well, and here we come back to the whole subject of the hot horses, et cetera. But, um, you know, really, I think much of it stems, and there's so much research that still has to be done in these areas, but if if we really look at um, maybe historically what normal feeding behavior was in a in a horse, it was lots of grazing, which meant high forage, lots of fiber in the diet. With that, they were able to explore more. There was less downtime. They were certainly more socialized being a herd animal. Um, Contrast now where they get one, maybe two meals a day where there's much more downtime Um, They're not as socialized very often and so many of the times just as that change in their normal feeding behaviors can uh, stimulate some problems um, There is is some thought as these diets are tend to be much less in fiber and forage Just because of the nature of the fact they're not turned out as much. There's more grain in these diets certainly the grain content can potentially lead to higher acidity in the gut, whether or not that is causing some abdominal pain that's causing some of the problems that we see, there's certainly a thought that that might be be a problem. So one possibility as far as impacting a horse's behavior if we feel like diet is a problem would be to, if possible, turn the horse out more, allow it more time to graze, potentially socialize, have less downtime where it might potentially develop. Uh, some inappropriate behaviors. Um, On the subject of these quote-unquote hot seeds, much of that stems from the sugar content or certainly the carbohydrate contents of these diets, Um, and certainly there is some thought that that may stimulate stimulate some of these aberrant behaviors simply from the fact that if we tend to back off on some of the uh, carbohydrate levels in many of these horses, they tend to um, have less of the problems, as the owner was reporting, there's been talk also of increasing the fat diet, that increased fat in the diet, these horses tends to calm them down. Um, that may simply, though, be just from the fact that with more fat in the diet, they're getting less of the carbohydrates. So certainly there's a lot still out there to be, to be researched. I think it's individual in nature, but certainly I think it's not uncommon for many horses to potentially be, be fed more carbohydrate. More energy, shall we say, than they may need, given uh, what they're being asked to do on a daily basis.
0: We have a question, Dr. McDonald, from our live audience. Uh, Serena says that she has started riding a horse that is scared of loud buses and trucks going by. How can she help this horse get over the fear to those noises?
1: Well, she could record those sounds and play them to the horse regularly. I again, if there's any way that she could. Get um, uh, an enclosure near a highway where trucks and buses are going by, and just let the horse live in that, um, or spend a few hours a day and become comfortable with it. I think that's that's the easiest. Although I'm not sure if she's if she's riding near them again. Once you take control of the horse, um, it may not be able to. To uh, deal with it as well, especially if they're, um, if she is actually riding near a road, um, I'd probably recommend her not to do that. But uh, if she wanted to acclimate him. I would give him, try to get him some time exposed to them uh, when he's not under saddle.
0: So, Dr. McDonald, this uh, makes me think of my own horses and my impact on them. So. Um, when I uh, was a kid, my cousin was in a horse car accident with her horse uh, and it was really bad and she was fine. Her horse was not, well, she wasn't fine, but she recovered, but her horse uh, didn't, um, and nor did the person who was in the car. And so I have this tremendous fear of riding near cars. I just, I don't like to do it at all. What do we know about how a rider or handler's own fears, or anxieties impact our horses?
1: I think we all know that from personal experience, but there is actually some research done on this in which um, horses and riders um, did a circuit, and the rider was, uh, in some instances, warned that there might be something scary along the way. And for those horses that were ridden under those circumstances, their heart rate was higher. <laughs> if, if the uh, riders and the rider's heart rate was higher uh, when they were uh, apprehensive, let's say that something could happen, and those horses had a, a higher heart rate, even though nothing bad happened on that and nothing scary happened on the route. So it was a demonstration of the rider's effect on the horse and. Uh, that comes up a lot with people who are having problems where their horse is doing really well schooling at home, and then on the show day, the horse kind of falls apart. And um, so the the rider psychology people um, generally uh, go first with working with the rider and trying to get the rider to be relaxed, uh, more relaxed under show conditions, and very often that helps the horse. Um, it's it's. We often blame it on the situation at the show or whatever that it's affecting the horse uh, without realizing that it could be mediated through our our, um, situation, our nervousness or uh, excitement, whatever.
0: Dr. Lowe, I'm sure that in practice you've had clients who were nervous or scared or felt over-horsed with their horses ask you about those situations. What recommendations do you make to them? or did you make to them when they asked you that question? What what do I do? What should I do with my horse?
1: Well,
2: it it just seems I saw so many times, um, normally on a much more positive side, that you had really good horses that could just really sense in that rider uh, their ability, their experience, and their level of fear. And in a perfect scenario – those horses seem to adapt to that rider and could generally put it in the gear that was required to make that rider comfortable so i don't i see no reason to believe that it works uh the other way as well if they sense in a rider fear or aggression that horse can sense that as well it's going to feed off of that so again i think i think we need to approach whether it's a dog cat cow or a horse i think the mentality you approach um, if you're having a bad day, if it's not been good at the house, and you're slamming things around in the barn, um, that's just not a very good way to start start the, the day to get on the back of your horse, because I think they do sense that. So calm, slow, because um, absolutely, I think many times, and I'm sure Dr. McDonald can comment much more, I think in many of the behavior studies you look at where you have a control group, um, many times the control group improves, and I believe it's simply because Uh, In the case of a horse study, maybe the rider or an owner of a dog believes that they have the experimental uh, anxiety product. And though they may be getting the sugar pill because they're blinded to that fact, they don't know, they believe they have it, and they believe in giving it to their animal. Their animal feels better because they believe their animal is less anxious. They become themselves less anxious. And with that, we're going to show improvement when you begin to tally scores and things. So if you look at many of these studies, you'll see even in the placebo groups or control groups, you'll see some improvement. Um, and I've always chalked much of that up to the fact that the belief of the owner is going to lower their stress level and in doing so lower that of the uh, of their animal as well.
0: Dr. McDonald, when people get to the point of deciding they need professional help and um, choosing between going to a horse trainer or a certified behaviorist, uh, what should they weigh in making that decision, and what might the experience be, or how might it might how may, might it be different between a horse trainer and a behaviorist?
1: Well, I think it's really it would ideally you would have a trainer who's also a behaviorist because so many of us behaviorists, you know, we, we have our particular Type of horse activity that we're most familiar with. Some of us may be familiar with one or two or three different disciplines and and uses of horses. But uh, it, it's uh, everyone is, is is different enough that it'd be very nice to and and that's it's probably best to work with both really to answer the question to have have a trainer who's comfortable working with the behaviorist and uh, the trainer can can uh, actually work with the horse each day and with the rider, but to implement the suggestions and, and take, take uh, guidance and work together with, with the behaviorists. There aren't really very many horse behaviorists either, which is, was, is a practical reality right now. There's, there's you know only a few dozen in the country, um, so it, for practical reasons, probably most people will be going to a trainer. But I would encourage them to look for trainers who are more up to date with modern learning theory and who are um, open to science-based um, uh, training principles because um, they they work and they they're great with overcoming problems and not the tra- trainers. Don't have techniques that are great uh, without being scientifically sound, Um, but it certainly um, that's where we're going. And we're going on small animal side. It's really uh, we've turned the corner in terms of uh, the appreciation for just decades of research done on how animals learn and how the common mistakes we make when we're training them um, that can be put to use. And uh, so that's that's where the future is going. I'm really Pleased to be ending my career at a time when when it's I think it's really catching on.
0: Um, Dr. Lowe, we have a question from our live audience. Kathy has a horse that paces, paws, and throws her head and runs her teeth along the bars of her stall. Uh, she said she tried feeding her in the stall and desensitizing her with little no to no improvement. Are there any medications that you could suggest that might help her uh, be uh, more calm in, in the stall, and then also uh, she does show the same behavior when she's ridden in, in groups of strange horses. So this is a horse, that, it's not just the stall, but um, she tends to be nervous overall. Uh, Dr. Lowe, do you have any uh, medical recommendations?
2: Well, medical recommendations would be kind of going back to what we talked about at the very beginning. I would try to completely assure myself that on physical examination um, that this horse um, is sound and not just sound uh, musculoskeletal-wise, but certainly an oral exam, checking those teeth for any sort of discomfort there, as that discomfort could be shown when feeding and or when tacked up and riding. Certainly, try to rule out any underlying vision issues. Um, certainly, in dark stalls, that could be exaggerating the problem, um, or when she's in groups, uh, if there's a, a vision issue there. And again not ruling out some sort of abdominal or GI discomfort. So um, I, to me, before we go to, to measures to alleviate the behavior or treat the behavior, I would certainly try to rule out any physical issues there, um, because certainly um, if you go to the point of sedatives, for instance, um, then you're pretty going to compromise not only that uh, horse's ability to really uh, be able to handle itself in groups, but certainly Uh, risk of of riding a horse that's sedated in that instance uh, could certainly not be recommended.
0: Dr. McDonald, George is in Colorado and he gentles wild horses that are off BLM land. He's interested to know if your approach uh, to handling horses is different between uh, these uh, wild or feral horses and domestic horses.
1: So for starting horses um, as youngsters, um, I would, a domestic horse, I would start a youngster using the same methods that I would with a, a older horse that has been unhandled or a wild horse with the principle that you just sort of organize the situation so that you can just go work with that horse um, using positive reinforcement and staying below the threshold for any sort of panic attack. We're going back again to these first experiences with wild horses, particularly. Their, their first experiences with people aren't usually very good, and it, it really uh, locks in their um, memory um, this fear, of, uh, the panic and fear around people. So they're, they're particularly delicate in that regard, but no different from from a young horse that you want to just, um, approach very, um, on their level and, um, go very slowly and, uh, give lots of positive reinforcement. Uh,
0: Dr. Lowe, we have a question from Patty in Santa Rosa, California. And Patty wants to know about what supplements, drugs, or herbs are available for rehabbing horses that are very anxious and fearful.
2: Well, the list is rather exhaustive, but we won't uh, we won't go into all of them. But I think just looking, whether we're talking about drugs or herbs or even supplements, I think first and foremost, we always have to understand that even in dealing with herbals, uh, we're not always talking about things that are necessarily 100% safe. There always are potential side effects with many of these or most of these products. There's potential interactions. Um, there can be potential toxicities. Um, and if you're dealing with performance horses, we always have to be cognizant of testing requirements depending on the, uh, the discipline you're participating in. So even if this is an herbal that we want to try, it's, uh, I think it's incumbent you consult with your veterinarian, discuss the pros and cons before implementing any of them. Any of them. Um, as far as products out there, many of them contain uh, the B vitamins, specifically things like cyanin. Uh, a lot of them call, um, contain magnesium as well, and much of that is based on simply the response of animals in the past that have been deficient in those. If you've ever seen an animal, especially I'm reminded of calves that have low magnesium levels, um, they can respond very dramatically um, and appear to be almost rabid-looking until you supplement them with magnesium. So. It was found that these animals responded so well to magnesium supplementation that there might be something to that. So that's why many of these products are on the market containing B vitamins and magnesium, just in the response that was seen in animals that were definitely deficient. The question is that this horse is on a good plane of nutrition and is not deficient, uh, whether or not these are going to be beneficial at all. And with many of these products, the research is just not there to say one way or the other. So I'm not going to stand here and say they do or do not work. Every horse is different. But if we're looking for objective data to show efficacy, um, that can be very limited. Um, Tryptophan is another common product out there, tryptophan being a precursor to a neurotransmitter called serotonin. Serotonin tends to cause – has some calming effects in animals. Again, uh, efficacy in horses with tryptophan is extremely limited. Um, So, it's hard to really comment on that. Valerian root is a common ingredient out there seen. It has um, a mechanism of action or its constituent has a mechanism of action, again, working on neuroreceptors in the brain to try to calm things down, to calm the nervous system down. It does have a sedative effect, um, so we have to be very concerned. Uh, about using this in a horse that might be performing or that if somebody's going to get on their back. But certainly for indications like stall rest may have some benefit. But again, that's another one that we need to be careful about. And you need to consult with your disciplines because uh, it can be, uh, it is on a testing list and could be a concern for something like that. Um, certainly alpacazozapine, the active ingredient in zilkine, is another product that mimics the inhibitory activity of a neurotransmitter in the brain. Um, there is research available on that product, um, alpacazozapine, and the nice thing, again, about that product is it has, does not have sedative effects, and it has been shown scientifically to enable a horse to learn, um, and that's another one that is available, um, Okay. Uh,
0: Dr. McDonald, we had a question from Charlotte in Quebec, Canada, and she wants to know if a dam's behavior can affect their foal's behavior. Does a nervous mare tend to have a nervous baby?
1: Yes. So, um, both on the genetic level, a a mare that has genetic predisposition to be sensitive, nervous, reactive, is more likely to have a foal with that same. it's tough to separate out the mare's own behavior and its effect on the foal once it's born. So for example, if that foal was um, born or um, say was an embryo transfer foal and had a calm uh, mother, there could be an interactive effect of of even the genetics and the the rearing. So for sure, if you have a nervous mare you, we recommend that you try to give her a wide berth and not uh, excite her or make her anxious around the foal, particularly for the first few weeks, and just let them be so that she's not continuously sending. By social facilitation, those foals read the reaction of their dam continuously, so um If you can avoid having uh, repeated uh, fearful situations around people or around whatever um, that foal is you're going to want it to be comfortable with later, um, that we certainly recommend that. So just to summarize, both for genetic and and environmental rearing conditions, um, the the dam has a huge impact on the foal. And we
0: are getting down to just a couple minutes left in the live broadcast, but I'd like to ask Dr. McDonald, because we've got several questions about it, uh, what does breed have to do with uh, nervousness and fearfulness? Uh, You mentioned genetics. Is it breed specific?
1: Well, um, like Dr. Lowe said earlier, there's just so much variation within a breed. So you could take, say you have this breed that you think is the most nervous, most reactive, um, let's say Arabs for example, <laughs> arabians. Um, and we
0: had several we had several Arab questions come in.
1: <laughs> so um, you know people think of them as highly reactive and nervous and anxious um, But within arabians you can have very calm and, and highly reactive, but probably as a breed, they are more sensitive, more aware of their environment, um, more reactive. Whereas the cold breeds, the drafts, um, the uh, primitive pony types, they tend to be, you know, just take a lick and keep on ticking kind of horses. The quarter horse, the stock quarter horse, it uh, just seems to go along, go along. And uh, so certainly, in fact, there's going to be in the next decade great strides made in the genetics of these um, temperament traits. And uh, uh, NIH now is uh, working with us to uh, work out genetic codes for various behavior traits, and uh, other people around the world are doing the same. So I think there'll be great news within the next few years. Um, we might even be able to do more sophisticated breeding for, for horses that we really need to be non-reactive.
0: Yeah. it is really interesting because I you know mentioned that my my nervous horse is my quarter horse and that little mare that I was talking about that's so solid she's an arab warm blood cross <laughs> and she's so solid and so they, they've kind of shaken my whole whole belief in horses because I've you know and I've been around the, kind of those primitive ponies that are the fjords and the I've been around draft horses and they're so solid and and I kind of was But, you know, draft horses and those kinds are so solid, and then you have kind of the hot flighty Arabs, and, you know, I love my little Arab cross, so she's great. (laughs) But um, that's all of our time for tonight. We've actually gone over a little bit, and we could talk all night about this stuff. So thank you both for being here, uh, Dr. McDonald and Dr. Lowe. We appreciate your time.
1: It was was nice to be on. Thanks. Um, Yes, Dr. Lowe.
2: Oh no I was going to say the same thing really enjoyed it and I actually learned quite a bit from Dr McDonald
0: Isn't it fun <laughs> Dr McDonald <laughs> I really do really always enjoy talking to you about horse behavior um I want to thank our sponsor again, uh, Zilkeen. Also, thank you to everyone who provided questions tonight and who joined us live. We couldn't do these events without you and your great questions. Uh, Until next time, I'm Michelle Anderson for The Horse and TheHorse.com. From all of us here, have a great night.